everyone. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the Scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I'm Zach, here with my wife Krista, and we're excited to study with you this week First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon is how you pronounce it, in case you were wondering. Philemon. 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 <laughs> we were both doing... <laughs> Why is this so funny? We both looked up it's pronunciations not... and they were both different. <laughs> I've always said it Philemon. That's probably such just an I've always English... Said, I'd always said it Philemon before I learned how to properly say it, which is Philemon. YouTube says Philemon. So what we're going to say is you can say it however you want to. Phil. We're yeah, studying first Phil. and second Tim... Oh, you said Titus. Tight. Tight. <laughs> and Phil. <laughs> anyway, we are excited to study because there's a lot in these uh, epistles, and we'll get more to them in a minute. But we want to start by announcing something we're really excited about. So the question that we get asked probably more often than anything else is, how do you guys study your scriptures? And we obviously don't have a corner of the market on the answer to that question, and we don't even do it the same way all the time, and our study methods are evolving. But one of the things that we're really passionate about is, of course, helping you to have meaningful scripture study experiences. And a lot of times that comes by simplifying your study and focusing on a couple of key elements that really make uh, the scriptures come alive. So um, we have been working on a product that will help you do just that. It's simple and it's basic, but we're really excited about it because we think that it might make a difference in your study and in the study of other people that you're that you're studying with. And I think just taking it a step further from, you know, we can only do so much when we're listening, but really that idea of um, giving you that frame of reference that we try and give on the podcast to into your hands and hopefully into your heart through the scriptures a little more. So we're going to be, in, we'll announce, I think, officially next week once we make sure that everything's in order for that. Um, and yeah, stay tuned. I think on Instagram at our feed is at the scripture study project. Um, we'll probably announce it there first and show some peeks at what we're, what we've been working on. So, but so yeah, look forward to that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for all the questions you have been sending in. We wanted to read one this week, and this actually, this is the one we'll read, but we've had quite a few questions similar to this that um, that this question kind of keys off of. So. so this question comes, I think, is a really timely question for um, this week's study as well. Um, it came from an Instagram DM. This comes from Arto Livis one I'm probably mispronouncing that, just like I... Yes, it's Artolivus <laughs> is how you pronounce it. Just like I mispronounced Philemon. Anyway, so the question is this. I had a question that's been weighing on my mind now for about a year. How can we help others separate policy from doctrine? I know so many people who separated themselves from the church after the policy was announced about children of LGBTQ parents not being able to be baptized. There have been other policies that have caused people to separate themselves from the church, but how can we help them see that the doctrine is unchanging and focused on love? It's a really, really good question and really well worded too. Um, We've talked about this uh, a little bit in some previous episodes, and he even mentioned that the best answer he got came from 
President Nelson's BYU address, which we'll put in our show notes. If you haven't listened to that yet, it's a must listen to for that specific question of the policy in 2015 and the policy in 2019 related to children of LGBTQ parents. And I think it was really cool to hear President Nelson, um, was that last month? Mm-hmm. It was It was just within the last few weeks, really, um, talk about that process that they went through. I think that's really the best peak that we get into the process that they go through as they um, wrestle with these really hard issues yeah. in a worldwide church. So on that specific question about that specific policy, President Nelson is by far the best resource. But we wanted to respond to that more general question of what's the difference or how do you help people discern the difference between doctrine and policy. So basic definitions. Doctrine is simple, eternal, unchanging truths of the gospel. So God is our Heavenly Father. He loves us. We are His children. Those are doctrines, things that don't change. Policy and practice are often based on doctrine in the church, but do change. For example, Doctrine is that God wants us to gather as his children, to sustain each other in faith, and to partake of the sacrament. The practice may look different. Last year it was three hours in church. This year it's two hours in church. Some places it's on Sunday and other places it's on Saturday or Thursday. Um, And so the practice of that doctrine may look different. The thing that I think gets people stuck is they have, there's a false notion that because doctrine doesn't change and because God is unchanging, When something changes, it must not come from God, who is unchanging. Um, And the problem with that is it leaves out the human side of the equation. While it is true that God is unchanging in his love and in his character and in his nature, it is also true that we are mortal and change all the time. And so God, to help his changing children who live in a changing world, come closer to him, sends prophets and apostles that are able to take that doctrine and explain it or apply it to the current situation and circumstances. And so that's why you see things, I think, change in the church so often, because we are changeable, not because God is, but because different feelings and different circumstances require different applications of truth. Um... I, I've been studying quite a lot recently on just how revelation works. Um, I maybe mentioned this in a previous episode, but I was in a meeting with Elder Bednar where he talked about some of these recent changes that have come, and he um, explained how every single one of these announcements that have been made recently have been talked about, pondered, and prayed about for years and years and years. And he said in that meeting... Um, the question before the brethren often isn't what. We know what to do, he said. The answer to the what question is often easy. The harder question is when. It's not, do we need to build smaller temples that President Hinckley answered. That question had been answered by previous presidents of the church, and they'd been working on it, thinking about it. The question to him was, when do we build smaller temples? Um, The question isn't, do we need a different approach to ministering? It's when do we announce a different approach to ministering? And so he explained that these revelatory processes are built up line upon line, that first this thought comes, then that thought comes, and they build. And over multiple years, they get a fuller understanding of what should happen. And uh, and I think that's really helpful for me to understand why things change sometimes. I think that one of my favorite teachings on this, I think, that I have personally been learning over the last few years um, is, what is it, the ninth article of faith? I should have looked it up, but um, 
the idea of revelation that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And his, like Zach said, the, the kingdom of God is this, you know, is his people, is the church, is in this changing world. And so it makes, for me, it just makes the, the need for prophets even more important um, that they can be there to lead and guide us. Um, for me personally, I know that where these doctrines and policy practices um, come together, um, when I have had struggles or wrestles with things that didn't quite make sense to me or that weren't clear to me, um, then I always came back to what we talked about at the beginning, these simple doctrines of remembering that I know that there is a God in heaven. I felt him and that I believe in Jesus Christ as his son and as the person that we, we learned that he is. And so I continue to come back to that and then become grateful that I have prophets to guide me today um, that help me get closer to him. So I think really focusing in on those doctrines and what is important um, and maybe helps you answer the question, why am I here? Why am I staying? Um, and what do I really believe in that, um, that the church offers and offers that, that growth for us when we focus on the right things? In fact, this issue is at the heart of our study this week because the letters that Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus deal with some of these same issues. Um, I wanted to start with a modern example. This is President Monson, and uh, this is kind of interesting. He shared this story, um, I think, back in, back in 2010. He says, I'm reminded of an experience I had many years ago when serving as a bishop. During the opening exercises of our priesthood meeting one Sunday morning, we were preparing to ordain a young man to the office of priest. Visiting our ward that day was a high counselor who also served as a temple worker. As I prepared to have the young man sit down to face the congregation so that we could proceed with the ordination, the high counselor stopped me and said, Bishop, I always have those being ordained turned to face the temple. He repositioned the chair so that the young man would be facing in the direction of the temple. I immediately recognized an unauthorized practice. And if I were just to pause there and think, if you were in that position, how would you respond? Here is the example of a practice that uh, might in some way be uh, dangerous to promulgate. That's what President Monson later says, that he, he uh, does not proceed with that, repositions the young man to face the congregation and, and proceeds with the ordination. Um, but this is a small example of what Timothy is facing in uh, Ephesus. So background to Timothy. Timothy is, for all intents and purposes, he's the bishop of Ephesus. Um, he's the spiritual leader that Paul leaves behind there to kind of help the church. And Paul's received some word that in Ephesus, as in a couple of other places um, that are heavily influenced by Greek philosophy, that the simple doctrine of Jesus Christ is being changed and perverted. So here's the way that he describes it to Timothy. This is uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus while I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. And then he says in verse 6, From which some have swerved and turned aside unto vain jangling. Um, in Titus, it's even worse. This is uh, verse 10. 
For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So here's the world that Timothy and Titus find themselves in, uh, and they're charged by Paul to put things in order, to set things straight. And as we studied this, we thought, this is something that we can all kind of relate to, because either we ourselves are maybe at times swerving off of the covenant path that President Nelson teaches us so often about, or we have people close to us that are. Either they're about to, either they or they are, or they have. And the questions that we have are probably some of the questions that Titus and Timothy have, which is, how do you help someone come back? How do you help someone come back to the covenant path? Or how do you prevent someone from swerving from the covenant path, even if that person is yourself? And so that's the question that drove our study. Uh, you'll find many more answers than we find, but we wanted to provide a couple of examples of what you might find as you study the Timothys, Titus, and Philemon. I think the thing that first stood out to me um, as I began studying these books was the references. I just love what he teaches, just generally speaking, about um, the ways that we can answer this question. I found a lot of catchphrases throughout that I just, you know, those ones that you want to write down and hang up on your on your fridge. But um, I think one of the um, one of the teachings that we find starting in Second Timothy verses chapter one, verse six, he says, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Um, a little bit further down in, um, starting in verse 13, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And I think that is the first answer to that, is seek and hold to that good spirit that that we have the chance to partake of. Um, I think there's no coincidence that this is a huge theme for President Nelson as he gives us counsel for today, that revelation can be the most important thing that we learn today. I know I've shared that quote from Sister Beck before that says that's the single most important thing that we can do today is really learning that language of the Spirit. And here he's reminding us, um, and I just love some of the words that he uses here, um, rekindle the gift of God that is in you. Um, and one of the verses that it meant a lot to me because I think we can all get that idea of like, wait, is this the spirit or is it me? You know, <laughs> I think that question gets asked a lot, or at least I do personally, like where I have fear inside of my heart. Um, but this answer here, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Aren't those powerful words in describing what the spirit feels like? Power, love, and even sound judgment that we can ourselves know those answers to the question like we talked about before, doctrine and policy. We have the ability to access heaven through the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think that we can't underestimate the power that we have there. Well, and that's been practical even for us. Um, if I can share a personal example from your life of how many times... Oh, geez. <laughs> well, when you, when you go on a trip with the kids, a couple of times that you've gone without me, uh, you'll often have this feeling of fear before the trip and wonder oh no, is this a prompting that I should stay home? Mm -hmm. And we've turned back to these verses 
um, to... Well, you must have, but I've never even <laughs> thought of him. And I'm like, oh, hey, I'm glad to have that solid well, it's, evidence. It's there. helpful to understand that God does not speak to us through the language of fear. And so a prompting that comes where you're afraid of something, that's not coming from him. Now, you may receive a prompting not to do something, but the feeling isn't going to be fear. The feeling will be a motivation or a thought or a prompting or a, a, a desire to do something else. But God doesn't give us the spirit of fear. He doesn't speak to us through fear. He doesn't give us that emotion um, in our hearts to guide us. And so even in the practical day-to-day, that's really helpful. And maybe it is because I'm anxiety-ridden in certain situations like that. I'm sure many of you can identify with that. Um, But I've, I've really held tight to that idea of, nope, this is me making this up. I sometimes have to talk myself down from that. But isn't that, I mean, in that example that's very not necessarily spiritual, but it is in that God is there to guide us and he can keep us um, where we need to be. And I believe that. Well, it's probably not a surprise that one of the ones that I liked the most is a little bit later on in 2 Timothy, um, these verses, which are really well known, but I've always loved. This is chapter three, uh, starting in verse 15. From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I love that scripture about scriptures and the power they have to do so many different things in our lives, not just uh, a study for cool gospel insights, but for reproof, for correction, for instruction. We can turn to the scriptures for an answer to anything. But I like it even more because it's surrounded by Paul's explanation or description of what's happening in Ephesus uh, or in Crete, where Titus lives, that uh, we can identify with. So this is how he describes what's happening in Ephesus. Earlier on in that chapter, verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And then, um, oh, a little bit later on, uh, verses 12 and 13 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers, or by evil men and seducers, that shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then in Titus, we've already read these verses, that uh, those in Crete are vain talkers and deceivers, and uh, that they're converting or perverting whole houses. But the same instruction uh, is given to Titus from Paul, verse 9, hold fast the faithful to the faithful word as you have been taught that you may be able to sound by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers and so i love that scripture helps us to stay on the covenant path that it answers questions for us that might uh, if we were to turn to worldly sources divert us or make us swerve and if we're seeking to help people come back to the covenant path sometimes studying the scriptures makes a big difference. That may seem like a really basic answer, but for me, when I have someone that comes into my office that has a problem about uh, something that's going on in their life, I've noticed that when I respond first with my thoughts, 
Often there's confusion or there's contention or there's even a a rebellion against it. But when my first reaction is, let's study the scriptures, even let's just read what we've been reading this week for just a little bit and see if there's something here that might answer our question, it always, always goes better. And I think even more than that, just in those moments, but really grounding ourselves. We talked about this, what was it, two weeks ago with being that rooted idea of being grounded in who um, God is as we find this out through the scriptures. Well, Zach just read some of these verses, but to kind of, um, I guess, just lead off from these, the Second Timothy first through chapter 3, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. And we hear a phrase from Paul a couple times in these chapters, um, and I'm going to read it right here. Um, this is First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Um, And this phrase that I'm talking about, maybe you've heard it already, but that idea of fight the good fight, um, he says it again as as he's talking about the times that they are facing there. Um, And... I think that's a good explanation of probably what you are feeling or have felt, or maybe those around you are feeling that um, it is a fight. It's a fight to stay um, in the faith. I think it's a fight these days to have faith, generally speaking. It's not a popular thing. It's not a thing that um, is easy. And I like the idea that it, it was a fight even for Paul, and he recognizes and he sees that these people are fighting. Um, And I I like the way that, you know, that Sherry Dew explains it. She uses the word wrestle. I felt that wrestle often in my own life and heart. And I think that that wrestle um, for our faith can be so strengthening and healing as we do that. Um, He says in verse 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the fate. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all whose love, who have loved his appearing. Um, I think he feels it. We hear Paul saying he feels it um, in that verse that he has fought the fight, but it's, it's worth it. And um, I think that can be true for all of us. I like this thought a lot because it puts a goal or a vision in mind for our current actions. It's difficult to persist in something if you don't have the eventual why question answered. So if I'm trying to keep the faith or fight the fight, but I don't really know why, I can't really picture what it is that's on the other end, then I lose my motivation and I'm not able to motivate other people, certainly to fight that fight or to fight that fight or keep the faith. And so I like this vision of me being able to stand across from my God at the end in my judgment and say, of course, I wasn't perfect, but I did keep the faith and I did fight the fight. I worked for it and I may be bloodied and I may be bruised and I may be broken, but I kept the faith. I did not give up. And to have him look and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
And so I really like that. I, I, as you were saying that, and as I had that thought, I, I am, uh, I thought of bragging a little bit that I'm pretty good at winning balance contests against, uh, our children mainly, but against anyone else (laughs) because, well, someone really, uh, a couple of years ago taught me that the way to have good balance, you know, if you're up on one leg and you have to balance against other people is to find a spot, a fixed spot on an opposing wall about eye level and just focus on that spot. Um, whereas other people, when they're trying to balance, might be looking around or looking at their arms or looking at their legs or trying to, to focus on what's changing to keep a fixed spot helps us to be balanced. Well, in a similar way, if I can keep my eye fixed, on that that moment with my God at the end where I give that accounting of how much I've kept the faith or how much I've fought this fight, um, that I'll be able to stay balanced even when things push or pull or tug as they so often do. The real question is, we'll follow up next week to see who wins a balance contest between Zach and I. <laughs> Pretty sure it's me. <laughs> but that is off topic because I wanted to share one more verse in that, um, what you're sharing. Second Timothy chapter two, verse three, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Mm. I think that sums up what your, what your thoughts were yeah. pretty well. The final thought I had um, is there's a phrase that Paul uses over and over that I just barely saw as we began, well, right before we started recording. And so I want to put it out there. This is not a finished thought. It's more of a beginning of a thought. Maybe as you're listening, you can help me finish the thought or can add to it. But I noticed that Paul uses a phrase quite often, and I'll just read it in the first time I saw it. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. He says, I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That phrase, godliness in my handy-dandy study Bible, uh, shows up in verse 2 in chapter 2 that I just read. It also shows up in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, in chapter 3, verse 16, in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, in chapter 5, verse 4, in chapter 6, verse 3, and verse 5, and verse 6, and verse 11. In other words, this idea that uh, we can pursue a godly life is something that Paul wants Timothy to know and wants him to teach. And there's places in these scriptures where where Paul will speak about, in specific description, of what this kind of godly life looks like, what it should feel like. But the idea captured my attention that one way to be unswerving ourselves and then maybe help others... uh, draw them to that covenant path is to find and live that peaceable life of godliness. Um, In my life, I've personally been working on trying to slow down. There's so many things going on as for a lot of us, so many things going on in our lives. And I'm trying to slow down, maybe unencumber myself from some of the other things that are going on so that I have more time to just focus on that simple, peaceful life of godliness. It's difficult in a world that is not simple and is not peaceful um, to retain that focus. But I think for me, at least, that's one of my answers coming out of this week. uh, This study is that's something I need to help me be less swerved or swayed by the things that are going on in the world around me. 
We hope that you have a great week, that you enjoy your study of Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Philemon. And we, again, ask you to look for, well, our announcement next week and exactly how you can get our our resource that we're going to be putting out. Um, but also follow us on Instagram at the Scripture Study Project that we will be keeping you up to date there as well. Thank you for studying with us. Have a great week.